Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Gonna have to admit, I'm pretty excited about this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. The topic is fantastic. We're, we're going to talk about virtual auditing and compliance in, in a pandemic world. But the reason I'm most excited is I get to talk to Colleen Hiddle. Colleen is with Pro Veritas Partners. The reason Colleen is special is because, you know, early in my consulting career, many, many years ago, she gave me an opportunity to dive into consulting and, and to kind of learn the ropes, so to speak. And a lot of that experience was formative to what eventually became Greenlight Guru. So really excited about this. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Pretty excited about this one because I get to talk to Colleen Hiddle. Colleen is the founder of ProVeritas, a consulting firm that specializes in reg- quality and regulatory expertise. Colleen, welcome. Hi, John. Thanks. You know, uh, before we uh, get too deep into today's conversation, I just want to thank you. And I don't know, you you probably, you may know, but you may not know what I'm going to thank you for. You gave me my first opportunity uh, as a consultant way back in, gosh, what year was that? Probably like 2007. You saw something to me that maybe I didn't realize that in myself at that time. So definitely appreciate you uh, having some faith in me and, and the opportunities back then. That's great. I was hoping you were going to let the listeners know that our long and sorted past when we were baby engineers together. I know. It, was, it seems like forever ago. I guess it was. But, it was, um, but it was, yeah. And the world has certainly changed quite a bit. Well, and, it's exactly the same. That's <laughs> touche. <laughs> but, I mean, there are some, there, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, there is a lot of similarities then and now. And, you know, certainly... Um, you know, for much of the past year or so, uh, we've all been trying to figure out what, how to operate in this this current uh, construct. You know, certainly medical device companies are trying to figure out how to manage and maintain business as as close to normal as possible. But I know there's been a lot of, I guess, challenges from a more from an audit perspective. And I, I know you're you know, you got your finger on the pulse. You're you're in the trenches, so to speak. I thought we could dive into virtual audits and, and compliance in a pandemic world. So what do you think? Sure. Yeah. That's, you know, a, a, a sick, interesting topic for me, actually. So happy to. And I'll, I guess I'll kind of start and I'd like to, you know, certainly hear your perspectives. But I, I know like this virtual audit seems like it's more of a more common or or less unusual from an ISO perspective, but but this seems to be a, a pretty new territory for like FDA inspections. I did read something recently where, you know, FDA was starting to lean into doing during doing more virtual inspections. So what are you seeing? What are you experiencing with med device companies, you know, both from an ISO and, and from a, an FDA perspective on this topic? Yeah, so you're you're spot on. I saw the very early adoption of virtual audits by the notified bodies for maintaining, you know, CE mark and registration and such, because as you can imagine, 
the relationships between the notified bodies and manufacturers are more like business relationships, right? You know, there's economics to it. There's timeliness components to it. It's not like a classic relationship with a government body like you would have with FDA. So pretty early on, many of the notified bodies got on board with the use of virtual audits and other kinds of remote type monitoring, data gathering. Not all of them, of course, um, but certainly early in the pandemic, there were easy early signs of of several of them adopting that and continuing to do business uh, in that way. FDA just took much longer. And to be fair, they were also pretty, you know, busy with (laughs) other public health considerations during the early days of the pandemic. So I, I came, I'm forgetting what your original question was now, but, but yeah, fair amount of notified body audits. And now to your point, FDA starting to um, show signs of, and to use your phrase, lean into, you know, the reality of needing to do virtual audits to continue to do the business of the government. I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I think I heard a statistic. I don't know if the, how close this is, but probably close enough for order of magnitude, something like, you know, FDA has received something like 5,000 EUA submissions or something like that. And that's crazy. I, I know it's I different resources. I have that number, but I can tell you that at least a hundred of those are clients or companies that have come to me in the pandemic to say, yeah. how do we get this through? What's taking so long, you know, you know, in the EUA process, obviously being just, you know, the front end of a compliance project for the government. It's really, to me, not so much about the front end, but how do we maintain these products in the marketplace in some compliant way to ensure public safety in the over the long haul, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know uh, if if there's data to to uh, on this particular topic, but uh, you know, on a routine basis, I, I mean, I don't even I wouldn't even venture a guess. You probably actually know the actual statistic, but I'm g- gathering the FDA probably does I don't know a few thousand uh, on-site inspections per year, give or take. Is is that about right? I don't know what that number is. That is a good question, and to be fair. You know, we would have to be spend a lot of time saying what is an inspection. Right? Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but nonetheless, it, it is for certain that from probably about March until probably well, even present moment, there probably have been very few on-site oh, inspections, right? Yes. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So obviously, none of us knows when when all of this is going to to end and how long we're going to be in this pandemic state. So, you know, obviously FDA has a responsibility to American citizens and, and medical device companies. So, you know, I guess it's it's good that they're trying to figure that out. But there's some nuances to this. You know, I've been a part of plenty of FDA inspections and ISO audits. I know you've been part of many yourself, many more than I have, frankly. There's some challenges, though, to, to doing virtual audits. What are some things that come to mind that might be some challenges that that auditors are going to face trying to do this virtually? Sure. Well, I myself have done spent um, some time in 2020 doing virtual audits. So I can say, you know, in in real terms, what the challenges have been, you know, for me. And I, I think to extrapolate that out, the government will have the same challenge or notify bodies, you know, I think a couple points. Number one, I mean, for the same reason that if you were going to go buy a company, you would want to go visit, there's no substitute for the interaction, you know, viewing the facility, just taking it all in. You know, it's the forest and the trees, so to speak. Um, 
auditing is never just about a document, but it's looking at the document in context, right? Meaning the objective evidence against the broader QMS, against the facility and the people, right? It's, it's the whole system. So you miss that in a virtual audit. I recognize that it is a solution, at least gets us closer to, to doing something, you know, again, in a pandemic where we're not able to be there on site. But one of the challenges I think is, you know, again, forest and trees, you're really limited to the documents. And then I guess the second point would be the opportunity to interact with people and documents in a more real-time give and take. Um, many of the virtual audits that I've been part of have been, you know, setting up a site, a Dropbox site, and, you know, forwarding questions kind of back and forth. And, you know, without the benefit of dialogue, the auditor instinct starts to be a little muted. And I'll just give an example. And you know, you know these kinds of examples too, I'm sure, from your experience. Let's say you're looking at design review. And um, you're looking at the meeting minutes of a design review. You know, your auditor brain may go in three different directions. And as part of a live conversation with documents available right there, you can kind of more quickly drive to what your instinct is telling you may be a strength or a weakness of the particular record. In a virtual audit, you know, you're essentially kind of looking at the document in a vacuum and coming coming to a conclusion, reaching out for more questions, and then having to iterate again. It's it's just slower, of course, but also I think you just lose that opportunity to interact and talk and think out, almost think out loud, which to me is it's more the art of uh, auditing skill sets rather than the science itself. So, I mean, those are just a couple of examples yeah. of where I think there's challenges with virtual with you. Yeah, and I, I gotta imagine, you know, there's there's probably some processes that lend themselves better than others as far as a a virtual audit. But I, I just am trying to wrap my head around like manufacturing. Like if because there's something about, you know, certainly if, if you're going out onto the manufacturing floor to, you know, observe and 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 see how products are being built and you know how operators are or following work instructions and are they capturing non-conformances and things like that, you really do lose that in a virtual type of setting. Are there any tools or tips or tricks that, that you've seen that are effective to try to be somewhat of a surrogate for that, you know, especially in the manufacturing uh, type of environment? I can give you two that I'm familiar with that, that have kind of worked, you know, again, in a pinch in the last um, months. One is the obvious kind of, you know, FaceTiming technology, meaning using an iPad and literally physically walking through the facility and the auditor asking the person with the iPad to stop at different stations and to, you know, to pan this area or that area, you know, to hold one minute, let me, let me observe this. Can you focus in on that? You know, literally as if it were, you know, if you were showing someone around a new house and they weren't in, in the house. So that's, again, imperfect, but it's at least the creates the assurance that you've seen the physical structure and had an opportunity to kind of lay eyes on the forest for the trees. That requires a fair amount of trust and confidence and transparency. And, you know, we know that that sometimes is, is present in an audit and sometimes it isn't. A second thing I've seen work, maybe even a little better, and this is when we were doing a virtual audit of some manufacturing, the steps uh, associated with a particular operation. 
they did a, some video of each step in the process. We were allowed to review each step. We were given the validation results, and then we had an opportunity to do a Q and A, you know, on the on the floor where we did kind of something similar, where there was a bit of a FaceTime kind of interaction. So you use the word surrogate. I think that's a great word. I, I think these are just somewhat, you know, solutions, imperfect solutions that can at least give you a feeling of being there when when you aren't. I'll ask this next question, but from two different perspectives. Imagine that you know I'm on the medical device company, and you know I'm, I need to go, or I have an audit that's pending. You know, again, whether that be from an FDA perspective or ISO or MDSAP, whatever the case may be, are there certain things that I should be doing to to better prepare myself and, and our company for the that audit event? Well, technology workarounds. I mean. <laughs> I'm yeah. raising five kids in a pandemic, so I know all about, you know, having a backup to the yeah. Wi-Fi and all of that. So um, making sure all your technology is powered. You've got, you know, redundant systems that you can do a hotspot if you need to. I mean, those are some obvious, right? But at the end of the day, it's not dissimilar to, you know, preparing for an on-site audit, you know, a ready room, a scribe, the ability to shoot out to everyone involved in the audit, kind of what the questions from the auditors have been, a way to break out from big Zoom meetings into smaller um, breakout sessions. Uh, Again, that's kind of a combination of ready room and technology. But those are a few examples that I've seen be helpful. But at the end of the day, it's um, like prepping for any audit. It's, is my documentation clean? Is it it available to me? And are the people prepped and expecting, you know, um, the audit plan. Yeah. And I guess same question, but this time from the perspective of the person conducting the audit, anything that, that they need to do differently to be prepared for this? Because, you know, to your point earlier, you know, there's something about being an auditor and there's something about being present on site. So this is a little bit of a curveball. I mean, anything you would suggest on, on those auditors and on things they can do to better adapt for the situation? Yeah, I think you have to be, again, not dissimilar to any kind of Zoom. You have to emote differently. You are, you know, there's a subtlety to a group dynamic when you're in the room, right? You can kind of read body language. Correct. Tone, facial expression. And and a lot of times I think the best auditors treat the experience more like an interaction and exchange between humans, right? Obviously informed by documents and data, but at the end of the day, it's an exchange between humans. And virtually, that's just not as available to us. It's more muted. And so you have to be super direct and much more emotive and unfortunately a little demanding. It comes off as being a little bit abrupt. Yeah. And so I think you have to set the stage by saying, look, some of the things I'm saying and the way I'm saying them, it's going to sound abrupt, but it's part of the, you know, the experience here, the virtual audit. We can't really, we don't have the opportunity to nuance together. I'm sure it's not different than what teachers and professors and physicians and others, you know, other kind of professions have experienced, you know, lawyers, you know, uh, we have hearings happening, right, on Zoom. It just requires a different kind of emotion and voice tenor and and candidly energy it's just a different energy experience 
Yeah, and I've heard something somewhere along the life that something like 80% of communication is nonverbal. So, uh, you know, certainly get that that importance of that. But, you know, to your point as well, I mean, it's you don't have that luxury in, in this situation. So, you know, you've got to adapt. Uh, I think that's really important. Colin, I, I thought I'd take a, you know, just a short break. Uh, I'd love for you to t- tell the listeners a little bit more about Pro Veritas Partners and some of the areas that you get involved and where people might learn more about what you're doing. Oh, you're so kind. You're going to let me play a commercial. Yeah, commercial. Well, it'll be a, just a, a quiet commercial because it's really, you know, my business is really more early retirement for me to continue to practice what I love to do, but without pressure for selling teams of people or a heavy kind of business development uh, focus. Um, I don't do podcasts or marketing or push email or any of that because I spent you know a big part of my career doing that and it's not my favorite. Instead, I'm doing kind of interim quality regulatory leadership, board advisory, crisis communication kind of work. I have a website, proveritaspartners.com, and a few employees and contractors, and I'm going to do it for as long as it's fun. Um, But having (laughs) built and sold businesses earlier in my career, um, that is not my objective now. I've kind of had that experience. It was wonderful for me. Um, personally and for the people that were, you know, uh, that I worked with at that time. But but now it's really more of a high touch, high focus on just really digging into problems that I really enjoy solving and the rest of it, hopefully letting some of the rest of it um, go for those that are younger with more hustle, candidly, than I have. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said uh, at the beginning, I, I, uh, I do thank you. I mean, I I've been in the. I was in the medical device industry um, quite a few years before we met, and you know, without going into the gory details, I, I found myself without a job and needing to feed my family and pay my bills and that sort of thing. And you know, the world of consulting was sort of a scary thing to even think about. But you, you uh, kept me. You, you saw something in me, like I said, and and you kept me calm and at ease and. You know, I, I certainly am uh, entirely or inter- eternally grateful for for that uh, from you and folks. You know, Colleen is one of these people that she's very kind and she's very humble and she knows her stuff. I mean, she's. I, I think of all the people that I know I've ever met in, in the medical device world. Uh, I, I think she probably knows more about regulatory compliance than anybody I've ever met. So. Oh wow! Well, that's, no, it's true. That's- uh, you know a lot of people in regulatory, so thank you. I, so, yeah, it's. I mean, it's, and you're very practical about it. That's what I've always appreciated too. You know, it's there's the the black and white interpretation of the law, but there's you know what's what's pragmatic, and and you you bring the right balance to the to the table. So I always appreciate I, th- that. I appreciate that. But I, you know, I think what you just hit on is what I saw in you, and and I think it's like anything, right? You like you see you maybe you attract talent that you think, you know, aligns with your own core value. And for me, I see so many consulting um, solutions in our industry that aren't informed by experience, pragmatic, you know, experience, hands-on. You and I both have worked inside medical device companies solving those problems. And for me, knowing that you had that background and watching you interact with a client, there's no substitution for just, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Not as a consultant, but as an engineer or, you know, other kind of technical 
um, you know, resource inside a company. And so, you know, I think that is maybe why, you know, you and I had a similar philosophy <laughs> early on in our careers. And I'm just thrilled for your success with Green. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess kind of continuing on with the the topic of virtual audits and, and compliance and in a pandemic state. I mean, you know, like I said, we're, we're uh, uh, approaching a year that we've sort of been in this lockdown mode. I know some things have uh, gotten closer to normal, more back to normal in, in manufacturing and some segments and things of that nature. But, you know, again, we don't know when, how long this is going to go on. And I don't know if you have a crystal ball and, and I'm sure you're not really one to, to make a lot of predictions, but um, I guess I'm, I'm struggling for the question here. It's clear in my mind, but you know, as, as we look in the next, you know, three, six, 12 months, whatever the case may be, do you see that the virtual audits are going to be a thing uh, to stay in our industry? You know, even once we get beyond a pandemic, is this something that's going to continue as, as part of uh you know, the tool set of an auditor? Hell yes. Hell yes. Okay. And, and honestly, maybe maybe to our detriment. And so I think that actually opens up a whole other point. What are the quality assurance processes to ensure that virtual audits are as successful as they can be? Of course, we're going to, of course, this is going to be um, part of our future. Why? Because I think people have seen that it can work. Um, and it's not, not dissimilar to why we probably won't go back to having big commercial real estate buildings where everyone has to go sit at a desk from eight to five. I mean, the world has changed, but, but I think the point is for the reasons we said earlier in, in our conversation, there's subtlety that's missed. So do we need to be there more often? Do we need to have a different monitoring schedule for these suppliers that we are accepting virtual audits from? You know, it's not dissimilar to the additional controls that you might put on a supplier for whom, you know, a checklist, a completed checklist or a certification is sufficient. You know, what are the layers on top of virtual audits that give us this assurance that um, we have things in a state of control? So is it here to stay? Yes, for sure, in some form or fashion. And I think our job as advisors to the industry is to identify kind of a best practice, if you will, for making virtual audits, you know, as, as effective as possible. Uh, in this environment. I hadn't thought about that angle before, but but if I can, uh, I guess, share with you what I what I just heard you say to make sure I'm tracking with you. Uh, so like if I'm a med device company, um, one of the things that I need to do is, is supplier management and, you know, and I'll have an approved supplier list and, you know, I'll identify the criticality of those suppliers and depending on the, the criticality will somewhat dictate what I need to be doing from a supplier evaluation and, and ongoing monitoring. So for lower uh, risk or, or lower criticality type suppliers, I'm, you know, that supplier survey may be more than sufficient, whereas the high risk, the, the very critical suppliers, I may de- be going on site to, to do a supplier audit. Are you suggesting that that from an auditor perspective, they may be looking at medical device companies in a similar type of lens as, as that supplier management process? Yes. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, though. And and I've always heard this, and I and, you know, and if if I could figure out the the secret algorithm, I'm I'm sure that uh, well, I probably would have already had an island somewhere. But I've always heard that FDA um, does risk based. Uh, approaches with respect to inspections, 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you have any insights or tidbits or, or, or clues as to how they make that determination, but I got to believe that it has to do something with compliance performance over the years it has probably something to do with, uh, adverse events and things of that nature, you know, which kind of says to me as med device company that, that it's in my best interest to, to be the, the low risk, uh, medical device company. So any thoughts on, on things that med device companies could do to, to better prepare themselves for that situation? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, timely approach to complaint handling uh, and all post-market issues, including, you know, to your point, AEs, adverse events, or um, recalls, because the post-market data is clearly an, an important driver in establishing risk for FDA. Um Timely response on 483 observations during during routine inspections, meaning when FDA does come and visit, that you are prompt in keeping them abreast of your own corrective action plans and that you're timely in that respect. I think that's one way. But but sometimes, you know, John, it's it's the risk of the product themselves. I mean, there's some companies that are just more aligned with, you know, a higher level risk, you know, of product. And so, you know, that obviously is, is outside of their control. Um, a softer component of, of this is hiring and training and maintaining a very stable, excellent QRA staff, right? That's um, continuity, consistency in approach to compliance um, is, is also um, important and creating kind of career opportunities for high potentials in quality and regulatory is another way to keep your risk uh, low. But you, you, you made another point earlier that I want to come back to. Sure. With respect to virtual audits and um, are they here to stay and how does this change and what can we do? What can we layer on top of it? I, you know, the thing I've been struck by is, you know, the notified bodies and to a lesser extent FDA, one of their limitations has always been attracting and maintaining top talent. Imagine a world where really excellent auditors that don't really want to get on a plane every week. And let's you let's be honest, you and I've both been in that in yep. that spot. Yep. What if you didn't have to do that? I, I know, right? I mean, how many days of your life would you get back? <laughs> well, and more importantly, would the lifespan of a lead auditor becomes much longer because that person is, you know, it's not just for the young and, and healthy and thin anymore, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Or for people that have got just reached the point in their life where, guess what? I don't want to be, you know, in the back row on a, you know... U.S. Air flight back from Newark at two in the morning anymore. Um, so I guess my only point is what's interesting to me about this potential is the ability to um, really have excellent auditor skills to deploy to to these situations. And, and hopefully the regulators are thinking the same way. I don't have any reason to believe they are or aren't, but this has certainly occurred to me and hopefully it's occurred to them too. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, just, you know, the logistics and, and, you know, the expenses and, and things of that nature. I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot of pros to that as well. Um, as we kind of wrap up this conversation today, any other tips, pointers, thoughts, practical advice that you have for either auditors or medical device companies listening on, on virtual audits and compliance in a pandemic state? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you touched on a couple of the key ones that I would have said, you know, everything is risk-based, right? Look at all your suppliers, which ones are reasonable to do virtually, either because of the history that you have with them or because of other checks and balances that that exist on that supplier. But there are going to be a short list of of those that you really feel like, you know, laying eyes on them is is key. And maybe it's, you know, prior problem with them or, you know, questionable business practices. Maybe it's the geography. Um, but yeah, using a risk-based approach and determining virtual and then monitoring the situation because maybe virtual continues to, to work well, but with certain monitoring steps included. And then I think... Ultimately, there's, you know, for any consultants listening, I think there's money to be made in coming up with strategies for how to make virtual auditing work for companies, meaning you can't apply the same standard. It's not the same audit planning, right? And so how can we tweak our model for best practice in auditing to be more effective for a virtual setting? And that, for me, is, um, is key to success. Yeah, great. Colleen, I appreciate you sharing your insights. I mean, you're someone that that is definitely in the know. You have firsthand experience on do, conducting these virtual audits and, you know, just your depth of knowledge in the QR, QARA space is, is important for folks listening to understand. So I appreciate you taking time to chat with me today about this topic. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice and see your face and hope you're well and uh, uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and folks, you know, uh, Greenlight Guru, we're here to help you. We've got uh, hundreds of customers across the globe who are ISO certified, FDA inspected, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, and we've got uh, a lot of stories from our customers who have been going through virtual audits and inspections. Uh, and it's going really, really well. And that's on, it makes a lot of sense because the Greenlight Guru software platform is a cloud-based SaaS platform that allows you ease of, of finding documents and records, but you can also provide access to auditors uh, during audits and, and just make it so much smoother and easier to navigate this audit process. So if you'd like to learn more about how the Greenlight Guru medical device quality management system software platform can be a resource for you in this current time and even beyond, I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if your requirements and your needs uh, align with our solution and product offering. So again, thank you so much for making the Global Medical Device Podcast the number one podcast in the medical device industry. And as always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.